Welcome to Restaurant Influencers presented by Entrepreneur. My name is Sean Walchef, founder of Cali Barbecue and Cali Barbecue Media. Today is a dream episode. We are recording in Beverly Hills at the penthouse of the Deer Deck Machine with none other than the man, the myth, the legend, Rob Deerdeck. What's up, Rob? Man, uh, thank you for coming all the way up here. <laughs> and thank you for just firing right in and knocking out a flawless intro, you know what I mean? I appreciate it. Well, uh, you know, it's a dream for our show to be here. You know, this show that we've done with Entrepreneur Media, this is something that, as restaurants, what we say is in, in life, in the restaurant business and in the new creator economy, we learn through lessons and stories. Our goal with this show is to bring on the best of the best in the entrepreneurial space, the creator space, and the restaurant space, hospitality space, um, to show off the things that we've learned, the, le the mistakes that we've made, and where we're going. Uh, I'm gonna start with our favorite random question, which is sure. where in the world is your favorite stadium, stage, or venue? Ah, oh, man, you know, I'm, you know, a as it relates to each individual or what is just in Where would you want to be? You want to see, you want to see the biggest show on earth. Where yeah, do you want to be? I mean, look, right. just because, you know, my, my greatest experiences have been here in Los Angeles at the former Staples Center. Okay. You know what I mean? And to me, like, um, seeing some of the very best um, athletes in the world, best performers in the world. Like, it, it's the only place that I've seen concerts at and, and big events at that scale. So, although not very original, it is the now crypto. Crypto, is it still, still going to be crypto? Yeah, Are so we still going with I'm trying, I'm, I've slowly, <laughs> like, even though I called it Staples, it's, it's crypto.com now to me, for as long as crypto.com is around. Okay, we're gonna get uh, we're gonna go to crypto, and we are going to get toast. We're gonna get entrepreneur. We're gonna get the Deer Deck machine. We're gonna put on a conference, but mm. it's gonna be a game within the game. So I don't want a bullshit conference. I want a serious entrepreneurial. These are people that want to build companies. Mm -hmm. You are a man that within since 2016, you've literally created more than 18 companies, mm -hmm. over 450 million dollar exits. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely incredible what you've done in the entrepreneurial space, and this is all after what you've done for MTV, what you've done for your shows, what you've done as a professional skateboarder. But we're gonna go, we're gonna rent out crypto. Mm -hmm. We're gonna put people that are playing the game within the game. Mm -hmm. And the coolest thing about doing research for this show is that you've literally for, since 2016, have been on all of the greatest podcasters on earth. Yeah. All of the Ed Milets, the Grant Cardones, the David Meltzer, who's my media mentor, yeah. the, the uh, Jake Paul, you were just on his show, and Lewis Howes. Mm -hmm. So you've documented your mm. journey as an entrepreneur. Yeah. We're gonna go back to crypto and we're gonna say, Rob, this is for an entrepreneur. Let's talk about when we look back at this piece of content, this entrepreneur mm. interview, what is Rob building from 2022, the end of 2022, recording this in November? Mm -hmm. What are you gonna have built in t by 2030? Yeah, look, I, I, I don't know that I could say specifically um, because I tend to go in these sort of three-year cycles because you gotta even think, I'm, even what I have evolved this core business into, right? So if this was a business that built businesses yes. uh, that I launched in 2016, because I created such an immense amount of financial success in a short amount of time using my process that was part of my overall life vision, it kind of changed my perspective on what I wanted to pursue. Right, and so I slowed down on even building companies in, in 2022 and I turned my efforts towards 
developing and sharing my philosophy that allowed me to to build and sell six companies for 550 million 550. Uh, and and shoot you know 252 episodes of television a year and 52 podcasts and do all of that um, with about uh, you know, 25, 30% of my time, right? Because I designed a balanced life and, cr and added all of these parts to the vision of my life. I designed my business vision and my life vision at the same time. So when I found success in business, I found success in life. So my transition this year is more into that philosophy. So I'm focused on creating a book series, Design, Automate, Optimize, about how to create your life system, then time, energy, and capacity, how to make a super high quality system, and then art, science, and magic, how to create a magical system. Then I'm gonna build a universe of content around um, those three books that lead to a software that would allow anybody to design their own life and begin to design automate it and optimize it and grow and evolve it into their ideal version of existing the same way that I get to live it today and so in 2030 I probably wouldn't be talking as much about like hey here's how I built another company and this yeah. is the scale of what it was it really be about uh, how individuals can take control of their reality and learn to get better and better at p predicting the future, a better future, a more probability of being happier on an ongoing basis was, is what we'd be talking about in crypto. Okay. You know. I'm down with that. So uh, you were in a book, you were featured in a book, Think and Grow Rich, mm -hmm. The Legacy, James Whitaker. He's one of, uh, one of my friends, a fellow podcaster. Uh, that was the first time you shared, or not one of the first times, but in the book, we talk, he talks about La Jolla and the impact that the doctor, that uh, your performance coach mm -hmm. in La Jolla had on you. Can yeah. you share that story? Yeah, and again, I don't, I, look, the, the, the good doctor, the great Dr. George Pratt, uh, who recently also uh, pro, provide, pres, presided over my five-year wedding anniversary vow renewal, uh, that's how impactful he's been on my wow. life. But I was in search of um, trying to figure out how to get better at um, performing in contests, in professional skateboarding contests, right? And so I did, this is before the internet. So I'm searching, I'm living in San Diego and I go to the yellow pages and I find a hypnotist. Only it's a clinical psychologist hypnotist at La Jolla Scripps. Yeah. You know, and so you know from being from San Diego, all that says is, wow, this is legit. Yep. You know what I mean? He's a doctor at Scripps <laughs> in La Jolla. Like, it doesn't get any more yep. legit than that. And then as I, you know, met and, and talked to him and, and, and really got to know him and started, like, really looking into all the different work that he's he's worked with different pro athletes and and he wrote this book called hyper success and in our first sessions he was basically testing me to see if i had core belief in my subconscious on whether or not i was meant to be successful and when we do the testing uh it would my subconscious was testing that i did not believe that i was meant to be successful really and so the the forget about trying to hypnotize me to do well in contest it just began about hypnotizing just focusing on my core subconscious belief that i was meant to be extraordinarily successful and from that point on just life and my life never took a step back 
really? you know, it was just, zoom, you know, and you know, I was 25 years old and at a crossroads in my professional skateboarding career. Um, but you know, and, and you could, you could point to a lot of different factors in my life that led to me really getting focused, but man, to go from being kind of scattered and not sure about what the future is going to be and, and, and losing sort of faith in my way and the direction that I had chose and then going to a, a psychologist that's a hypnotist and yes. going through this work and then what my life has resulted in, it's hard for me not to, to make a connection back to it and give, give him credit, you know. So as you're going, can you talk about the first brand deal that you did as a skateboarder? Because you saw business differently than other athletes. And the people that I see that I respect so much in professional athletics, the Kobe Bryants, the Shaquille O'Neal's, it's, yes, as a fan, I love what they did on the court, but I love what they do in business afterwards and the impact that they can make. Can you talk about how you knew at an early age that it was different for you as an athlete? Yeah, you know, it was. I came from a different era in a sport that was very small. Yeah. It was also a sport that was incredibly entrepreneurial because, um, you know, it was sort of a bias for a skate culture. And so, like, skaters would go on to, to build and own all of the companies inside sort of the ecosystem. And so, when I was really young, I, w I like to say I was raised by entrepreneur wolves because, you know, the skate shop that I skated for was owned by a 19-year-old serial entrepreneur that went and built all these companies. And then when I turned pro at 16, um, you know, the guys that I, that ran the company in San Diego, Gina Skateboards, moved back to Dayton, Ohio and, and built the Alien Workshop that I turned pro for. Uh, with Jimmy George, that serial entrepreneur I was around when I was young. So I just watched company after company being built. So even when I quit high school and became a professional skateboarder, I looked at myself at 16 as like, I'm a brand and a business. So it was sort of embedded in me from that being all around me at a very young age. And then, you know, I, I began to use my influence to build relationships with manufacturers and started my first company when I was 17. And then just, uh, kept, you know, some things worked, some things didn't, different deals came along, then eventually uh, connected with DC and uh, based out of San Diego, a footwear company, and then had my first signature shoe and watched that company um, really grow and explode. And that was when I started to have a lot more capital because now I was getting these big royalty checks. So uh, I, I just continually looked for opportunity that overlapped in all the worlds that I kind of lived in. And, and whether that was brand deals or brand partnerships or starting a, a, a my own companies with, with different people, like that was um, something I just started doing at a very young age based off of that influence of those entrepreneurs I was around in my teenage years. So, so much of what we do on the show is teaching restaurant owners to think bigger than their restaurants mm -hmm. and trying to understand that we can get into consumer packaged goods, we can get into media. When you first got into media, I mean, you were exposed to media, mm -hmm. but can you talk about the evolution of, of where you started with MTV to where you are today? Yeah, and, and look, I, I think for me, you know, I'm, media is so powerful, right? And, and, but it's only powerful if you have the right story to tell and the right product to sell. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's far too often that you'll create this incredible media moment, but the product just doesn't resonate with the consumer, you know, or God forbid you have a great product with a terrible margin and, and difficult to scale, cost intensive, all these things that make it prohibitive to actually being successful. I think um, a lot of people misinterpret with the power of what media can provide. 
And I think I began to dabble in so many different things early on that I began to see, you know, where there was much bigger opportunity when you would create a product that uh, and or service that was directly for the MTV audience. Yeah. Right. When you make a DC signature shoe that sold at Zoomies in the mall, and then all the kids watch it on MTV and can go to the mall and buy it. Yeah. That's when the company goes from 100 million to 500 million, right? Versus if that was only sold in skate shops. Correct. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like those, that same massive audience now that had that huge reach would not be able to um, find those much more niche locations and the scale wouldn't have been there, right? So it was equal to the distribution that the company had grown to, to capitalize on it at the time, right? Which made it, you know, an extraordinary large uh, business and I'm, you know, ended up, you know, making a ton of money off of all of the products that I had associated with it, right? And as I began to do more and more media, like, I began to see, like, a bigger opportunity. So when I did my first show, Robin Big, I saw what was happening with Bam Margera's product from being on Jackass. I knew he was selling all these boards and these shoes. So even before I did Robin Big, I'm started a clothing company with Travis Barker, right? Really? And and uh, called Rogue Status. I did a deal, my professional skateboarding deal, I used to get two and three dollars a board and $5,000 a month salary. I did a deal for a 2,500 month uh, salary, but $5 for every board. And they were like, okay, great. Cause I'm like, <laughs> if, I, if I do, you know, this, if I do the same sales as Bam, I'm, if I, I'm gonna like, I'd yeah. rather have the big royalty bet on the self than on my, my shoe deal at the time, I had actually been, this, I, did, I made a deal with, uh, DC before sh um, Robin Big had started where I would design shoes and get a small royalty off of everyone that got picked by the sales team and at one point I had like 30 shoes that I was getting a royalty off of wow. and once they were acquired by uh, you know Quicksilver they were like this is crazy we can't like keep letting you have all these shoes so then I negotiated with them that this best-selling silhouette let me have this uh, and I want a 10% royalty instead of the traditional 5% royalty. And then I knew, man, if this show really blows up, I've got the best-selling silhouette in all of footwear. It's gonna be in the malls. It's like this consumer's gonna connect and I'm gonna get this huge royalty uh, from it. From the skateboarding side, it's all royalty. And then, I, I mean, it was overnight. It was like that show came out, it blew up and I made millions off of just the shoes at the scale that they got to. Wow. And again, it was just having sort of foresight of connecting it all together, right? Like who's mo the demo of, of the network? Where are they going to shop? And what product are they most likely gonna buy? Meaning that it, I didn't just take it to chance of like, you know, I'm like, they're gonna find the skate shop and they'll buy my skateboard. You know what I mean? Like I'm betting on, you know, this core to core product, but what's a product that everybody can buy? Mm -hmm. Everybody can buy a shoe. What silhouette's the best selling to everybody? This sort of Stan Smith sort of look. So I already kind of had the foresight to capitalize on the opportunity and then it, I positioned myself to get lucky and I did. Right, and then I learned so much about making TV and, and integrating products that by the time I got to my next show, like the only way I would do the show, even though they offered me a pretty substantial amount of money 
as it was related to an episodic fee, you know, I would say, you know, I got 125,000 an episode in that era and, you know, MTV talent got like 12,000 an episode. That was sort of the, the depth of that talent fee. But I said, I wouldn't even do it unless I owned my integration rights. And now a quick break from restaurant influencers to share an exciting new offer from our sponsor, Atmosphere TV. Go to atmosphere.tv forward slash BBQ to not only get Atmosphere TV for free, but also our audience is given the gift of $200 in ad credits, as well as free activation. Join more than 40,000 other venues who use Atmosphere TV by signing up with the code BBQ at atmosphere.tv forward slash BBQ. Keep guests entertained with Atmosphere TV because you have the ability to turn your promotions and your advertisements onto your television with this platform. The simple plug and play device lets you take control of the content on your screens. Keep guests entertained, engaged, and informed of real-time specials, career opportunities, and announcements that you can personalize within your own custom content dashboard. Tap into great channels such as America's Funniest Home Videos, Fashion, Throttle, Chive TV, Sports Highlights, Red Bull, Real Madrid, along with unbiased news and entertainment. There is something for everyone. Over 60 curated channels of short form, entertaining content to choose from right at your fingertips. They also have an incredible ad supported network that allows you to not only market within your four walls, but also locally or nationally if you desire. The platform gives you full control to dial in your marketing efforts. Please go and visit atmosphere.tv slash BBQ and let them know restaurant influencers sent you. When did you learn that? Man, you know, I I'm I didn't I don't even know I could say because it to MT, you because it, just for the people that don't know the when you're selling into linear linear TV yeah typically they have their own sales team I mean same Correct. thing as local radio the same like Correct. you name the media property there's a sales team responsible for selling into that's it. right you changed that model but where did you where, but check how it did out you learn I that? didn't necessarily change it. It was my ask. They didn't think anything of it. <laughs> they said, "Go ahead." Right? It was like, before you're just an additional yeah, salesperson. That's it. They, but and then <laughs> like, in their mind, it was like, "Well, what could he possibly do?" <laughs> and so this was before Skinny Girl, yeah. like the Skinny Girl vodka and and the Jersey Shore merch. Yeah. It was these sort of things that basically stopped that, where the network was like, "Okay, no longer yeah. is someone going to take, um, be able to." Uh, create pro use our platform to sell products now because was there conflicting interests like if they had a different hundred percent hundred percent but the difference but keep in mind how 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 much more forward thinking I was is I wanted the media rights I could sell the media and so I did deals with Microsoft and Chevy and Carl's Jr. and I just did deal after deal after deal like Walmart and I did I basically used their media yes. as a platform to to do massive multi-platform brand partnership deals that um, were, were you know social media viral content integrated into the show appearances I would do it all for each one of these brands and integrate them into my foundation and build a skate park uh, with their money like I had this incredible ecosystem that I was able to build that no one will ever build again because they just would never allow yeah. talent to have that much control. And it became incredibly frustrating for them um, to where we eventually would partner on deals and let them um, 
I would create content for some of their bigger advertisers yeah. versus like where I would just be like, no, I would just say no to every one yeah. of their guys and be like, unless I'm doing an entire multi-platform deal. And again, you know, positioning yourself to get lucky. You're, you're being smart and you're continually being creative yes. on how to think bigger. Yes. Right, you're just constantly thinking bigger, right? And e even as I, you know, uh, began to look at, okay, um, the long-term ability to build and sell content integrations and in media is, is waning. And this show is difficult to do, right? It yeah. takes, to shoot 10 episodes of Fantasy Factory, it takes six months. And I would just be, you know, it's just this ongoing process of shooting, you know, five, six days a week, like constantly shooting and pickups and being, traveling and all this stuff. And, and you know, at the time, I had sold them both Ridiculousness and Fantasy Factory at the same time mm -hmm. because before they offered me the big money for Fantasy Factory, I thought to myself, man, I can't, I'd rather do a show that was, I could shoot in a studio, not in my house, that yes. I could do much easier. And I had read an article with Vinnie DeBona, uh, the creator of America's Funniest Home Videos and the $500 million syndication business that was America's Funniest Home Videos. And I took an episode of America's Funniest Home Videos, took out all the unfunny clips and just the fast funny ones, and then used my Xbox and like would rewind and put, like I, almost how I do ridiculous to this day, I just did it with an Xbox. And they bought that to series at the same time, only I decided I, I got a folk fantasy factory is so much more monetary opportunity for me because I get the episodic fee and all that integration potential. Mm -hmm. So I did that first before I started shooting Ridiculousness and I got paid way less to shoot that because it was like a studio show at the time. And, you know, and, but as I transitioned, man, it just, it's the reality of shooting Fantasy Factory. I, I, there was no longevity in it. You know, you're yeah. talking about, you know, I'm flipping cars and getting attacked by sharks and jockeying horses and, you know, doing all these crazy stunts, you know what I mean? Like an incredible highlight reel for myself, but not sustainable long-term. And then I began to evolve in and, and optimize ridiculousness as it relates to, to shooting the show itself as it continued to build its sort of what would eventually be this sort of annuity for the network, yeah. right? Because it's almost like what happened was linear cable kind of kind of shifted as like you know this sort of streaming world came alive and and it almost became like linear cable almost came stuck in time where whatever was working the network became connected to the network and stayed working yes. and in my case the the beauty of the concept is that it's it's kind of a hybrid between streaming and viral content because it's like you can sit there and just watch it for like three hours straight and and without even trying type of thing so it has this baseline value then it was like okay well how can i make more out of this and optimize this as an opportunity and that's when I looked at it more from the business perspective from instead of the talent perspective. And then I built a production company that I built and sold um, with the show, right? And so... In, and that production company was $190 million, is right. that correct? And so... That you and, sold it for? Yeah, and think about this. Here's the beauty of it. Once I, once I started producing the show, I, now I understood the unit economics of the show. I understood where all the margin was and the entire thing. And now I've started negotiating with the network on 
um, the economics that they needed based off of sort of the evolving ad dollars in the space. Mm -hmm. So we renegotiated on the price of the show if they would pick up a bigger order. And then I was, I had built it to sell the entire time. And so that negotiation was, I was looking at it more from how am I gonna create value to eventually sell it. And then um, that process allowed me to make the show cheaper for them. They started to order more, they started airing more, it started to perform more, then they ordered way more. Now I just grew it up and sold it for 190 million. And even when I built and sold it for 190 million, I was still, we, the goal was to sell it for 50. You know, wow. and it's just now kind of seeing the whole business more multi-dimensionally, mm -hmm. that's one aspect I think. Um, that you know, whether you're a restaurant owner, whatever, whatever you are creating and operating in life, it, it, it is multidimensional, man. And it's like, it is a living thing that there's, there's more opportunity and ways to look at it than, than straightforward. You have to constantly be uh, looking at that everything from all different types of angles. And that sort of creative lens on looking at everything holistically, in, yeah. including life, you know? and the way that you design your life, how it integrates into your business, um, allowed me to continue to see opportunity to create more and more value before finally capturing that value at a scale that I could have never even imagined when I set out to do it in 2016. You know what I mean? One of the, I'd love to ask you this because it's a, one of the case study that I'm fascinated with. I read an article about ESPN when they launched ESPN2 and it was a struggling network, mm -hmm. but then they purchased the X Games. Mm -hmm. And when they purchased the X Games, one of the things that happened was all the people that were responsible for putting on this event, all the marketing people, all the sales people, all the people that were literally responsible for all the different sports, they had to come into the media side of the business. Mm -hmm. And once they all started working together, they started understanding what you're talking about. Yeah. They started getting, like once they started getting their hands dirty and understanding the whole picture instead of just one part of the picture, it actually made ESPN2 a much more valuable property and it helped, it helped the X Games. Yeah. For you, where did you learn that, you, that a no was just the beginning of a conversation? <laughs> Yeah, hey, <laughs> because hey. you don't take me as somebody that's like, oh, this is the person you're supposed to talk to, and yeah. then I'm going to go to them, and they say no, and it's over. Yeah, like you talk to the top. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I, one thing. <laughs> hey, hey, look, one thing I don't do is I don't use agents. I don't use lawyers. I don't. Um, you know, it's a very ineffective way to do something. Um, at scale, you know what I mean. You, you don't want layers in between decision making, yes. and, and at the end of the day. You know, I don't take um, no's or no's for a reason, right? And, and a lot of time, like, if you're approaching something through the lens of, like, how much value are you going to get out of it yeah. versus, like, you know, what's the value exchange? Um, there's a lot of creative ways to, to create a value exchange that can, that can uh, make a deal creative and dynamic um, that can serve you, but, but ultimately in, in a situation like that, you know, you, you, you know, if I, I, if I was more rigid and, and said, oh, I'm not going to mess with the budget, this is the budget of the show, like, you know, then the, the show probably wouldn't even be around, right? Yeah. But it's like, okay, let me go back and look at where I could reduce cost and, and, and still, uh, 
create something incredibly successful and then came back and delivered on that value. And, but I, at the time I was getting 30 episode orders and I said, okay, I'll give you that, but I need you to order uh, 168 at once. You know, and and unprecedented in television. He For was, sure. And they were like, okay. Why did you ask? You Why? Well, actually, like, they, my goal was to do, you know, to get like 60 picked up at once. Uh, or I know, my goal was to get 84 picked up at once. I, I moved the seasons to 42. Uh, episodes per season, you know, just trying to sh to move the the season total a little bit yeah. from 30 to 42, and then I said I needed at least. Uh, my goal was to get at least two picked up. He said I'll pick up two. I said I was thinking more like six, and he said how about four? You know what I mean? Okay, you know what yeah. I mean. And, and so you know that that sort of lens, and, and you know, and, and it was, you know, he had a vision for what that content could produce for the network at that price and it worked right and then i did you know i went from shooting a hundred i went from shooting you know probably 60 a year to then like 100 a year to 252 a year and next year i'm going to shoot 336 you know what i mean That's amazing. and and i'm going to shoot 336 for the for the next five years how many episodes when you're when you're doing a shoot how many episodes a day uh, I do six a day this year, six but I'm moving to eight a day. Eight a yeah, day. Yeah. Wow, I just interviewed Emeril Lagasse for the show. He told me in the height of when he was doing Food Network, he was doing seven a day. Yeah. That's... Yeah, and, and look, I shoot it. It's, it's the most highly optimized, like, automated sh machine you could even imagine, right? Like, even my prep time is about 15 minutes per episode the night before. I, you know, I shoot the, the episodes in 26, 27 minutes and just go back to back with little breaks in between. So it's only about five hours to shoot all those shows. And, and for, for global numbers, you know, I'm, it is about 4% of my time. It's four times a month for 10 months a year. And when you look at 4% of your time, there's 8,760 hours in a day, in a year. And so if you do something for one hour a day, 365, uh, you know, divided by the 8,760 is 4%. So it's the equivalency of doing something for one hour a day yeah. at that scale. That's how highly optimized it is. Um, and then not only did I monetize the talent side, but then I built and sold the production company, then renegotiated on my talent side, and then actually invested with the people that acquired the, the company and will sell it again and have a, an additional exit connected to it as well. Um, but it is maximizing the opportunity on a continual basis and maxing its potential. Yeah. By by op, uh, automating everything to s and tooling with when I shot and how I shot and getting all the systems into this higher and more effortless level, I was able to move up to 252 and then 336 without disrupting my quality of life. Where, you know, in 2016 when I was shooting 60 a year, it was like terror. It was taking out so much energy yes. to like just get 60 because I had not applied. How can I optimize this in a way that it reduces sort of friction and, and effort and energy to where it's actually enjoyable, easy to do, and then has you know a big return on energy as it relates to the money I could make. Well, I I love what you've said. You said that you'd care less about the return on investment than you do the return on energy. Yeah. 
tell me what's the Deer Deck machine? What are you building here? Yeah. And why are you building it in public with a podcast build with Rob? Yeah, I, you know, look, I mean, to me, like, the Deer Deck machine is, is really the hub for, you know, the venture studio that's the business that creates businesses. And, Did you, you know, dream of this? Of this penthouse? Where we are right now in Beverly Hills? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm... What, what, when was that? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm you know, went through... Uh, a pretty difficult period in 2013 of basically being told I was uninvestable and um, the the way I was building my business and my sort of Rob Deerdeck Deerdeck Enterprises empire was not creating any value, right? And it's a and tough thing to be told. It was it was very brutal because you got to think when when I was raising money for my professional skateboarding league and they were like, no, we want to do a 360 deal with you and have a piece of everything you do. They said, we're gonna value you at $100 million and um, you're gonna, um, we're gonna give you 50 million, you get 30 million, we're gonna put 20 million into the company and then we're gonna go turn this into a billion dollar enterprise and we're gonna be 50-50 partners. Then, and at the time I had Fantasy Factory, Street League, Wild Grinders on Nickelodeon, Ridiculousness, DC, Monster, I had all these deals and then when they uh, did the diligence on me, they were like, you're uninvestable. Like this is really just, it's just like, you don't have, va your, your companies don't have value, your, your company that owns the companies doesn't have value, like, and you're basically just an athlete TV star. Ouch, and they put you back into the town. Oh, they put oh. you, everything that you had built, oh. as, as a business, as I somebody said, that literally was playing the game within the game, yeah. they put you right back into the talent bucket. Oh my. But, 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 <laughs> let, let, but they didn't put me there. You put yourself there. I was there. You were there. I, but I thought, well, I'm not, I'm, but <laughs> I'm like, I'm a real entrepreneur. Yeah. I was raised by entrepreneur wolves. Look at me, I created all of this, yet it had created no real value. Yeah. And, and furthermore, the way I was running it was just not like, I was, I had, I, it was like break even. Yes. Right. Like despite having all of this stuff and it was, it was, it was breaking even based off of my athlete and talent, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so it just changed me um, and made me realize like, you know, not only, am I, not only am I not the entrepreneur that I thought that I was, but I don't even fully understand business like I thought I did. And I um, also just wasn't happy. What do I even like to do? Do I even like, because back then it was like, if I just keep doing more, eventually one will be so big that then, then I'll be able to like find some sort of balance and that's it. That's it. Only, only now I'm pushing 40. Now I'm pushing 40. And, and, and then I, I, at that point was like, no, you've got to de this decide what you actually love to do and what you want the future to become and yes. then design a pathway to get there. And then you have to learn all of the things um, about business, the operational side, like you're great with brand and marketing and media, but you've got to understand the management side, the operational side, and above all, the financial side. Yes. If you don't, if you're not making a move through the financial lens and, and everything you're doing, is it leading to a more sustainable, uh, more profitable enterprise, then you're, and you're leading it with product and marketing, you are dead.
Yes. You're dead. And I, when I finally crossed through that and discovered that and learned money, then I just understood and designed a plan for why I wanted money and the type of money that I wanted to do and what I would do with it and how I was going to create it. And, you know, for me, it's like I love creating companies, but I don't love operating them. So I'm going to create a business that creates businesses. And, and then I designed the amount of time I wanted to spend on it and how I wanted to do it. And then, um, all of it began to now create a harmonious state that I began to grow from. Yes. And I grew and evolved in a direction of which all led towards the ideal version of my life. And within five years, I became the, the person that I thought I always was compared to what in that time that I thought I was, I actually wasn't. I actually then became the person after defining it, designing it, and growing into it. You know. So the restaurant owners, the people that are listening to this show, the business owners, you're huge in the consumer packaged goods space, CPG. Mm -hmm. Why should restaurant owners think differently about the things that they sell within the four walls of their restaurant? And why is there a huge opportunity? Why are you so bullish on consumer packaged goods? I, I mean, look, I, I think, you know, I don't think it's like a straight line. I don't think every restaurant has the ability to sell consumer sure. packaged goods depending Absolutely. on the product. Every restaurant, uh, yeah, for sure. You know, but I think that you should think about your restaurant through the lens of what are all of the ways that this can scale, right? And and you know, you have a, you you'll know exactly how many people come through the doors. Yep. So it's like now it's like how do I get more people through the doors? Well, that's that's when you start looking at your media and all right, well media is tough, but really you're just creating a better brand and extending your brand voice into media that creates a more consistent, more loyal customer that creates more value. Now if you can create additional things for them uh, that they're willing to purchase and like to purchase whether it's merch uh, some sort of consumer packaged good is the holy grail in my mind. Yes. Um, if if you can if you can get it there, that starts first with your box, and then your scale is is um, the verticals inside the box, and then as many boxes you as you can create, and then of course the the the. The big side is then your brand so strong and has scale that now though and you you have a unique product that can now be a consumer product that sells at scale at retail, right? So that's the ecosystem. But most people don't think about um, like all of those opportunities at the beginning, right? Because it's just like I just want to make this one box work. You know what I mean? Yes. Like I just want people to get in here. I just want like, you know what I mean? So right. it's like you and it's it's how it is for all most entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. Like it's all the companies I ever started in skateboarding was I had an opportunity. Here's like, well, you're just you kind of take a shot when you kind of see an opportunity based off of, you know, like, you know, growing up in the space, having relationship to the space, working for somebody that started a restaurant. Like you just you kind of find your way into yes. it, right? And and, and so that sort of way of looking at it as a scalable business and and beyond just what you serve is, is foreign and hard, you know, and then then furthermore, looking at it as media. Um, but again, I to the point of like what I think where you create a ton of value to get people to think about it yeah. is because if you do, you, you don't you don't win overnight. 
No. You're not going to like all of a sudden come up with a media plan and there it is. You, the, your dreams <laughs> came five, true. Five five years before that, we got here. That's There's what I'm podcasts saying. that nobody listened to. That's what I'm saying. One hundred percent. But but you you have to keep going. You just you're learning and you're seeing what's working and you're you're beginning to like understand it because you 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 got to take a leap of faith on all these new things because everything goes through the same cycle. When you were thinking about doing the podcast, you were so excited. You were <laughs> oh, like, yeah, oh absolutely. man, it's gonna be so gonna be big. Fantastic. This is gonna be amazing. It's then like then like <laughs> as you're like working on it and get it all, oh, this is kind of crazy. Then you shoot it and you're like, is this good? Is this, this is good, right? Yeah. It's okay. Then you launch it, and nobody cares. <laughs> That's right. Then you're like, oh my God, then then you're in the valley of death, right? It's like, should we even do this? Like, yes. what it is? And then then as you begin to understand the the audience, then people give you feedback, and then you if you make it through that, now you develop the belief of, okay, if I keep doing this, this will be successful. Oh, then if I could get a partnership with like entrepreneur and like what it is now, I'm really, I could get to a level. Now you believe I could scale it and there's so much potential with it. But that's the cycle of success. It goes through those phases and, and, and most people, um, get all that dopamine and that energy from like what could be what could be, and yeah. then the terror of what is not the you know yeah and so you know I think you know in anything that you try that anyone would tell you that's how their restaurant business start in the first place for sure there was so much energy this is gonna be amazing <laughs> and then the chaos of like figuring it out and hiring bad people and trying to put in systems and process to like where they could finally step away instead of doing every last little thing like that 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 same sort of cycle Cycle is in 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 every single thing, including new things you try, yeah. and you're just trying to um, grow and learn them and get better and better at them at time. You know, and if you do all of that together, you're you're going to have a healthier, better business in five years, or you're going to have the same business you have today, yeah. same problems that you have today, the same complaining and whining about why this isn't that and this is that five years from now, uh, unless you create some sort of path that gives you an opportunity to change that. Uh, for all the people that are listening to this, one of the things that I love the most about what you do is you talk about your wife, you talk about your kids, and we're going to get you out of here so you can go pick up your son. Um, you take your son to school, you drop, you pick them up from school, mm-hmm. something that I do. The people that listen to this show, restaurant owners, we're, we're notorious for working in our business and not working on our business. Mm-hmm. The fact that I can be here doing this is a testament to my team, but to anybody that's listening to this content or that will mm-hmm. view this video, listen to this show, um, talk about the priority, the reprioritization of your time and why that energy now that you have for business, you can actually spend energy on business, but you can also give that energy back to your to your family. Yeah, and, and look, it's it's you know, we all know time is this very valuable asset. But if you don't design time and design a path and to to master time, you're just gonna continually never have the time. Yeah. Right? And so what do you do? You have a certain amount of time, you have a certain amount of energy, you have a certain amount of capacity. So your only option is to either create a system uh, or and and automate it or hire uh, to get back more time and energy, right? And in the best world, you're hiring people to run systems. Yes. Right? And that's where you can begin to scale and do so much more when you focus on design, automating, and optimizing systems in all aspects of your life, 
right? So my every bit of my existence um, has multiple systems that all integrate in and that I am continually redesigning and automating and optimizing on, on an ongoing basis. And that is based off of uh, being able to do all that I do in business with only 25% of my time, right? And and then I dedicate the majority of my time to my wife and kids. It, it gives me, I talk about shooting, you know, um, you know, you know, 252, 336 episodes of television with 4% of my time, you know, it, it's about the same amount of time I dedicate to picking my kids up from school sure. every day. You know what I mean? It's, it's just You're a right. hair yeah. less, right? And, but for me, I also, it, it's not whether, there's nothing that's right or wrong about it. You know, not, not everybody wants to pick their kids and take them to school every day. It's, it's the reality of that's what gives me harmony and balance and a high quality life is to do that and spend that time with my kids, like, and spend that much time with my wife and family. Like, to me, that is where my harmony is found. And so I've designed a rhythm to my life and mastered time and, and then, you know, really just use systems and automation and continually make them better and better and more efficient to be able to keep total control of my time so that I can do the things that I want to do. I never get in a position where I'm just constantly doing the things I have to do. You know, and if I end up in a world where I'm doing something too much that I don't like doing, I'm, I'm, I can feel it, right? Like I, I rate the each day how I feel about my life, work, and health zero to ten. And if my low numbers go low and the, and the same things causing it, I know that that I need to either uh, create a solution or a system or stop doing it. And and I just do that in all aspects of my life on an ongoing basis, which it, you know allows me to be in this perpetual state of high energy, harmonious, high quality existence where you just live in a state of happiness on an ongoing basis, which I think should be every human being's why. You know, you really just want to be happy. And that requires mastering time and ultimately all of the inputs uh, that take time from you and energy from you and overall mind share that you've got to get control of in order to live a, you know, a happy and healthy life. So if you guys want to reach out to me, it's at Sean P. Walchef, S-H-A-W-N-W-A-L-C-H-E-F. Uh, just give a special shout out to Toast, our title sponsor. We run Toast in our Cali barbecue restaurant. So many of the guests on our show use Toast. They help us automate our digital hospitality so that we can focus on doing the things that we love to do to expand and to grow, to have conversations with Rob at... Rob, this has been absolutely incredible. It's been truly an honor, man. Uh, thank you for, for sharing your wisdom with, uh, with our audience today. Any parting words of wisdom you'd like to, to tell the restaurant industry, hospitality, or any content creator out there? Because we, we hope that there are people that are working in the hospitality business that understand that, that device that is in our pocket, that smartphone that we take for granted is the greatest tool that's ever been given to creators and to business owners because it can connect you to people all over the globe, whatever your hopes and dreams are. What, what kind of advice do you have? I, look take the action. You know what I mean? Like, you know that there is a better future for yourself, but you've got to decide what that better future looks at, whether that's creating content for your restaurant, whatever it is, decide what that better future is, and then build the plan backwards from there to today, and then start pursuing that plan and making the changes and adapting so that in the future, 
everything that you want your restaurant to be, your content to be, or anything in your life can come true because you put a stamp in the universe and built the plan to actually achieve it. Amazing. Build with Rob, that's his podcast. Rob Deerdeck, the legend himself. We're here, I can't believe it. We're gonna show you guys a behind the scenes tour. So check it out at Cali Barbecue Media. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you for your hospitality. Yeah, hey, appreciate, appreciate you, you, brother. Thank appreciate you. Appreciate you. And a special thank you to our title sponsor, Toast. Toast is the primary technology partner that we use at our restaurant, Cali Barbecue. It is also the primary technology partner that so many of the guests have shared with us on this show. People like Sam, the cooking guy, Stacy Poonkinney, Jeff Alexander. So many times the guests tell us that they're using Toast when we didn't even know that going into the interview. That is why we are so grateful that they sponsor this show. We want you to win. You that listen to this show, we want you to improve your digital hospitality. Toast is built for restaurants and it's built for you. Toast is the restaurant first platform that's built for your needs, whatever your size, concept, or ambitions. Improve your bottom line with a customizable platform that's easy to learn, use, and grow with. And it meets you where you are with all the right tools for your price point. If you have any questions about Toast, please DM me at Sean P. Walchef, S-H-A-W-N-P-W-A-L-C-H-E-F. I will get you the link to the right Toast contact in your market. It's so important that if you listen to this show, that you win. We want you to be on this show eventually. Let us know that you heard the show, you heard about Toast, you implemented Toast, you did a Toast unboxing in your restaurant. Talk to us about how you've impacted your village, your city, your community. Share your Toast story with us. DM me today to learn more. And be sure to check out Toast.